Podcast Movement Sessions is sponsored by Storyblocks. For more information, visit storyblocks.com slash podcast movement. I'm just getting acquainted with podcast movement. It's really fun to be here. There's a lot of potential here for people to share information. So I to just kind of wander through and see what catches my eye. Hello again, Ted Woods here. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Podcast Movement Sessions. This season through interviews recorded on-site in Orlando and audio ripped directly from onstage presentations, we're peeling back the curtain on PM19's society, culture, and advocacy track, where speakers and attendees alike addressed some of the most difficult and important issues facing the podcast industry head on. So far, we've taken a look at the power of the podcasting community, how female leaders are paving their way in the industry, and how podcasting allows for advocacy on a global level to create profound change in our society. Today, we're taking a look at one of the most popular genres in all of podcasting, true crime. The more producers and reporters and outlets decide to go for the more difficult, complex stories over the simpler um, and maybe kind of more salacious ones, I think we're going to be better off. Some of the most prolific creators in the space were on hand at Podcast Movement, lending their insight into the creation process for an insightful audio narrative. You start where you are, and then you make the next logical step, and then the next, and the next. They have to be top-notch journalists, and then also people who can go out in the field and get good tape for us. Plus, how journalists like Amber Hunt, host and reporter behind the Cincinnati Inquirer's Accused, are turning to podcasting as a means of uncovering injustices, overturning convictions, and even creating systemic change in our criminal justice system. When somebody passed this case on to me to just check it out and see if it was worth an investigation, I had no intention of doing a podcast. I had never done radio or any audio reporting before. Let's kick things off with decorated podcaster Jen Chien, whose latest triumph is 70 Million. I'm Jen Chien. I'm the lead editor of 70 Million. I sat with Jen just after she left PM19's Society, Culture, and Advocacy stage, where she had explained the premise behind the 70 Million podcast. 70 Million is an open source, solutions-focused podcast about criminal justice reform that aims to, it's a lot of words, illuminate the complexities of the carceral system through long-form audio narratives that explore solutions inside or outside jail walls, introduce compelling characters who are system-involved, and immerse listeners in sound and scene-rich audio storytelling. So basically, long-form audio narrative journalism that aims to talk about criminal justice, criminal legal system reform. Jen introduced herself as the lead editor of 70 Million, meaning she works with reporters from across the country to help create meaningful audio narratives about criminal justice reform. But she admits the title lead editor can be a tad vague. I think that editor in our field, in the audio field in general, is one of those terms like producer that has about a million different meanings, depending on what project you're in or kind of what corner of the industry you're in. My kind of editing, the kind of editing that I do, I think is more akin to um, maybe a traditional investigative journalism type editor. It's going to say like in a newsroom, right? Yes, 
And yet, unlike print journalists, I'm also super involved in people's tape and people's uh, mixes and things like that, weighing in on pitches. I help to green light or not green light something. Uh, then I'm working with the reporter to formulate a plan. I have them write stuff up for me, um, like lists and reporting plans and fantasy outlines. Then they go out in the field. I'm available for any sort of questions they have. Once they have a full script, we'll either do a read-through where they play me the tape and they sort of read it to me as if it's a final piece already, or they'll put together a rough mix for me. Once the script is locked fact-check-wise, language-wise, audio bites-wise, then we send all of our assets to an engineer who then creates a draft mix. That gets sent back to me, our executive producer, and the reporter. We all give feedback and refine the draft mix. And then when that's ready, it goes out. At Podcast Movement 2019, Jen hosted a panel within the Society, Culture, and Advocacy track titled Location, 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 Reporting on Criminal Justice from the Ground Up. The stated goal of the session was to give attendees a glimpse at how $70 million is produced, by inviting contributing journalists Eve Abrams and Daniel Rivero on stage to speak about their processes. The discussion revolved around best practices for creating a compelling audio narrative and some of the pitfalls and challenges of writing and producing in the audio space. When asked about building tension and moving a story through its beginning, middle, and end, Jen reminded the crowd of aspiring audio journalists to always keep their eye on the ball. She recommended finding and maintaining a single organizing principle to keep the content focused and specific. Um, I think what I would say is uh, just you have to have an organizing principle of some kind. So like finding what that is for that particular story, it might be follow this person chronologically through their court case. Maybe that's your organizing principle, the spine. Maybe it's, okay, there are six major problems with this law. So we're going to talk about them and we're going to talk about them in this order. Or maybe this is a problem that exists on both sides of this county line. So you're doing a both sides story. So you got to figure out what is the, uh, yeah, organizing principle for your story and then kind of organize around that because it's for organizing. As lead editor for 70 Million, I asked Jen Chien what skills she thinks are required to tell a compelling long-form narrative story in the audio medium. The thing about long-form audio narrative, the way that we're practicing it, there are fewer people who, who, who can work in that format, basically, who have the experience both on the storytelling side, the technical audio production side, and on the journalism side, the, the reporters that we work with kind of have to have this three-pronged skill set, I would say. They have to be good at narrative in this long-form way. They have to be um, top-notch journalists. So uh, we're also really concerned with accuracy and um, making sure that we get all our facts straight. And then also um, people who can go out in the field and get good tape for us. Since advocacy plays a significant role in this season of Podcast Movement Sessions, I want you to hear what contributing reporters Eve Abrams and Daniel Rivero had to say when 70 Million lead editor Jen Chien asked them about balancing advocacy with being a hard news journalist. I know that you're both motivated by a sense of, of justice and of 
of wanting to make positive change, but how you think about the balance between journalism and advocacy, or why your journalism is not advocacy, advocacy, how do you think about that in your own work? Well, I feel like if you just pay attention and report on what's going on, it's pretty clear. You're not an advocate by... The fact of the matter is, is that poor people are being held in jail because they're poor. And just reporting the facts of the case, um, the facts of the system, it's not advocacy to tell the truth as I see it. You have to have an eye to identify like what the problem or what the issue is that you're going to go in, in depth on and what facts are you going to look to uncover but that's just uh that's that's just like step one it's you don't have to take it as a you know you're advocating for something because i'm looking for the i'm looking at the the mental health people with mental illnesses in the criminal justice system it doesn't mean necessarily i'm advocating for them even though I i can say without any doubt in my mind that there's a lot of injustice there one analogy or metaphor that I really like that I've heard before is that of the referee that a journalist uh, is an impartial person who's observing the field and if someone's cheating you have to call it out so I like thinking of it that way on stage at PM 19's society culture and advocacy track moderator Jen Chien and 70 million contributors Daniel Rivero and Eve Abrams Eve will speak with us about her work reporting on New Orleans' criminal legal system when our conversation about good journalistic practices in podcasting continues next. Podcast Movement Sessions is sponsored by Storyblocks. If you've ever been in need of a quick soundbite, B-roll clip, template, or graphic, you've got to check out Storyblocks. All the music and sound effects you hear in this episode came directly from Storyblocks. Now, I've been producing podcasts for several years, and oftentimes finding that perfect music clip or sound effect can be really tough, especially when you're on a budget. Clients come to you with feedback that changes major aspects of a show and you know we don't always have the time to go back into the studio and re-record a needed piece of music or sfx and that my friends is where storyblocks comes in so whether you're working on a podcast like me or a video series of any size here's a few things to keep in mind you'll immediately have access to an unlimited library over 1 million assets strong Anything from Storyblock's massive library of high-quality footage, After Effects templates, music, illustrations, and sound effects is yours to download with their unlimited all-access plan. Use your downloaded content anywhere, including on YouTube. All content is royalty-free for commercial and personal use. Stay on budget while telling the best version of your story with flexible subscription plans that scale to meet your needs. And best yet, Storyblocks is always adding new content and making regular product updates to give you the best experience possible. To learn more, head to storyblocks.com slash podcast movement. That's storyblocks.com slash podcast movement. Just getting acquainted with podcast movement, but uh, it's really fun to be here. There were puppies in there, I heard. 
that there were puppies on the floor. Did you see the puppies? I think I'm going to go visit the puppies right after this. <laughs> is this your first time at Podcast Movement? It is, yeah. And are there podcasters here who you're excited to maybe be in person? I know you mentioned Natalie uh, from In the Dark. Yeah, I mean, I'm unbelievably, it's my, it's my absolute favorite podcast in the dark. It's just like completely blew my mind start to finish. Has there been any specific highlight over the first day for you, Eve? I had a really random conversation with some women last night back at my hotel that was pretty great. They were flabbergasted that people like me who are from a storytelling background had no idea how to make money. My name is Eve Abrams and I produce the show Unprisoned. I'm Justin Ling. I'm a reporter and host of Uncover the Village. My name's Natalie Jablonski and I'm a producer for the In the Dark podcast. Hey, it's Ted. This is Podcast Movement Sessions, and today we're taking a look at the practices of good journalism in podcasting and how it can help elevate the content in one of the medium's most popular genres, true crime. Before the break and just now, we heard from investigative reporter Eve Abrams, who hosts the podcast Unprisoned and contributed a feature story to the open source podcast 70 Million. While on stage at Podcast Movement, Eve shared plenty of wisdom with prospective journalists and podcasters alike, including this tip about cultivating sources in your community. Can you talk about how you cultivate sources? Mostly it's it's being a real person and really showing people that you're interested in what they want to say and being honest and, and sticking by your word. One thing that I really try to do a lot in my work is to speak as little as possible and and have the people most closely impacted do most of the talking. So um, I think I could probably talk less, honestly. (laughs) But um, So I think that really illuminates where I'm coming from as a journalist, that I don't want to, you know, ransack somebody else's story. I want to frame it and, and situate it in a way that listeners can best appreciate it. Eve Abrams' Unprisoned podcast takes a look at the criminal justice system in New Orleans where she lives. When we spoke backstage at PM19, I asked Eve about the process she goes through in finding great characters for her podcast. I mean, really, you could go to municipal court any day of the week in New Orleans and watch thousands of stories happen right in front of you. Every time a person is, you know, churned through the system, there's an incredible story behind it. And I mean, really, I'm not exaggerating. Every day you could, there are thousands of stories happening. So just put your, put your body near them and, and get out a microphone and you'll get them. Big takeaway there, put yourself where the stories are. For Eve Abrams, that means spending countless hours in and around the court system in New Orleans. For Justin Ling, who produced and hosted Uncover the Village for the CBC, that meant diving into a story that specifically affected his community in Toronto's gay village. Tell me about that community and the story there that you were interested in telling. Is that is that something that affected your life before you were involved in this report or you just dove right into it? Yeah, I mean, you know, this, is, this is my community as well. And I think even if it wasn't, it would be very hard to tell the story without being kind of in the community or at least sort of um, you know, venturing into that community and, and talking to it and getting those voices on tape. Um, and I think 
getting voices in the story from that community is incredibly important. You know, I don't think we could have done this story uh, without some buy-in from friends and family of both victims of Bruce MacArthur, who, um, you know, men who went missing over the last decade, or uh, friends and family of the men who had been murdered in the 1970s and 1980s. Um, you know, without that, I don't think this, this would have worked. And without the people who were there and giving us, um, you know, the lay of the land from the, you know, the 70s and 80s, this wouldn't have been as successful as it was. So, um, you know, it's not easy. Like this is this is tough stuff to do. But I think that's what makes it like what makes it that much better, and what makes it uh, hit home for a lot of people. As part of podcast movements, society, culture, and advocacy track, reporter Justin Ling and several other prominent investigative journalists sat on a panel titled "How to Make the Ethical True Crime Podcast and What Not to Do." When we spoke backstage at PM19, Justin made a point of highlighting a prominent example of a podcast that took community buy-in to a whole other level. On the panel this afternoon is one of the producers for In the Dark, and you know they made the point to not just go into Winona, you know, the small town that had experienced this, you know, the, the spate of homicides, um, but go and live there for you know more than a year. And I think that's kind of necessary. I mean, you don't, I think, have to be a member of the community to, to do a, a thoughtful, um, you know, story inside of it. But you do have to kind of go above and beyond and at least try to understand the the context and the culture of that community. Um, you know, whether it's a small town, whether it's a marginalized community, like the queer community, or whether, you know, whatever it is, I don't think it's enough to just sort of look from the outside. You need to sort of venture in and, and get the inside perspective. As Justin mentioned, producer Natalie Jablonski, host Madeline Baran, and the In the Dark team moved from their home base in Minneapolis to the rural city of Winona, Mississippi, to report on the story of Curtis Flowers, an African-American man tried six times for a murder that he didn't commit. As mentioned several times in this episode, being a part of the community you are reporting on can really help elevate your content, especially when it comes to true crime. And when I sat with her backstage at Podcast Movement, I asked Natalie Jablonski about her team's decision to embed themselves in Winona for season two of In the Dark. I think it became pretty clear early on that we were going to have to spend a lot of time there um, because, you know, the story we had chosen was, like, very complicated. Um, there was just a lot of material, a ton of people to talk to. It wasn't always easy to find people or to schedule with them. And so um, we just, like, and, and we also wanted to be able to really get to know this place since it was like not a place that that any of us were from or had lived before. So we had to sort of just, like, I think we had to spend that much time in order to do a good job on the story. Was there backlash within the community there, the locals? Because I imagine it's a small town. Word got back to the people that you guys were all there. Was there any backlash that you experienced, like, personally in dealing with the reporting? Or were people relatively open to having some conversation at least it's funny because like the longer we spent there the more used to us people became because they would just see us around town like it is a pretty small town and so it would sort of be like oh there goes those like radio ladies like walking down the street with their like microphone like what are they doing like they've been in our neighborhood like 50 times (laughs) for some people who we interviewed like by the time we showed up on their doorstep and like knocked on their door for the first time they probably had already seen us walking around uh, multiple times. And so it was almost like we weren't total strangers anymore. I think it maybe 
became more evident that like we weren't just like flying in and flying out like we were there for a while. According to its description in the podcast movement schedule, how to make the ethical true crime podcast and what not to do featured a panel of true crimes heavy hitters who would tackle the line between entertainment and engagement and how they applied the principles of journalism ethics, and public interest to their work. Let's hear again from In the Dark producer Natalie Jablonski about her team's goal of being entertaining while also maintaining their journalistic integrity as reporters. We want the structure of the story. I mean, we primarily want it to be driven by the journalism and like we have an actual question that we're setting out to answer at the beginning and we want that to kind of drive the whole narrative We want to have actual findings that we can use to propel the story. I mean, we definitely do think about certain moments that, like, we might want on tape. For example, with some of the data reporting, our data reporter, Will Craft, like, we want him to tell Madeline his findings for the first time while we're recording. So that would be, like, an an example of, like, we got to think ahead about this. Like, we want to make sure we have that, like, preserve that kind of, like, little bit of surprise or um, that we, like, get that on tape. As his words alluded to earlier, Uncover the Village host Justin Ling is a huge fan of In the Dark and the work the APM Reports team did in the Curtis Flowers case, something he couldn't quite keep under wraps while sharing the podcast movement stage with In the Dark producer Natalie Jablonski. If I could just pump up how great your podcast is, it does this amazing job of taking an individual case and using it to shine light on systemic procedural issues. I mean, like, like you're talking about, like the inherent white supremacy of, of you know the American justice system, essentially in the South. Without that case, it would be so hard to to make to humanize all those all those issues. Um, so I think it's absolutely valuable, and I think that's again you know an, an element of the augmented or the ethical true crime genre is that it does speak to something larger and and broader and and systemic issues, whereas, you know, it's not just looking at one case for, for entertainment. Um, and it's funny talking about, you know, tricking people into listening to your podcast. Um, I mean, we did not that to a large... tricking them, encouraging Oh, it's them. tricking. You know what? I'm just going to be upfront. Yeah. It's like, I bet there's a lot of people who tuned in expecting more of an entertainment-based, you know, serial killer podcast who ended up going down this, this garden path of queer rights going back 40 years and I hopefully learning something significant about, um, you know, the origin of, of, you know, that struggle and um, and sort of the, the problems that still linger today. And I think we did that. I, I have heard from a lot of people who appreciated that, who appreciated being tricked to some degree. Yeah, you get your vegetables with your ice cream. <laughs> yeah. When we spoke backstage at Podcast Movement, I asked investigative reporter Justin Ling about the power a well-produced and well-reported podcast can have at uncovering the bigger story and shining a light on something you may not have been looking for initially. Yeah, I think that's what this this, this podcast was really supposed to be about was, um, you know, trying to open up kind of the ways in which we look at this story, and and that's what this panel is about this afternoon. Um, you know, is is about opening a conversation of how you can kind of take those more ambitious stories um, that are a bit wider and longer lead and more all encompassing, um, as opposed to just sort of the simpler, more entertainment focused true crime, um, you know, podcasts and stories. You know, I think there's probably enough space for both to coexist, but I think the more producers and reporters and outlets decide to go for the more difficult, complex stories over the simpler um, and maybe kind of more salacious ones, I think we're going to be better off. 
Justin made a point of sharing some of his displeasure with so-called armchair detectives who have emerged with the growth and popularity of true crime podcasts. On the podcast movement stage, he discussed the harm that can be unwittingly committed against victims when old wounds are opened by podcasters who lack journalistic training. One thing that I think is lacking, not just from you know a lot of these startup uh, crime podcasts, but also from a lot of reporting these days, which is that there doesn't seem to be a sensitivity for the impact that these stories have on the friends and family of, of you know, folks who have been murdered or who have died. Um, and they've not seemed to appreciate that it's no longer just you know, a TV station and a newspaper calling them. It's now three newspapers, five online outlets, a, you know, a thousand people on Facebook who've been following the story and feel like they have some right of answers from these loved ones. I mean, in our case, one of the victims uh, of Bruce MacArthur, the serial killer, people started going through his Facebook and started compiling evidence that he was in on it. And they started messaging and calling and emailing friends and family of this, this poor guy um, with you know, probing questions about his responsibility for these murders. Um, you know, I, I spoke at length. I, you know, I still talk frequently to a, a good friend of one of the victims who said she, she found you know, amateur sleuths in her laundry room one day looking around for evidence. And so I think if you don't recognize that that is potentially a direct impact of the way in which you report these stories, then you're being irresponsible. Right. Moderator Rebecca Lavoie, co-host of the Crime Writers On podcast, led PM19's Ethical True Crime How-To panel. As the conversation turned to naming alternative suspects, Rebecca applauded accused host Amber Hunt for her team's mindfulness in covering the unsolved murder of Elizabeth Andes. Amber, you know, one of the things that I think is a huge misstep and really veering toward the really irresponsible that I hear in a lot of these shows is identifying potential suspects to crimes. People who have not been ever looked at by police or perhaps have, but their names have not been public. Can you just explain what those lines should be and how you've dealt with it on your show? Because especially in season one of Accused, you talk pretty deeply about alternative suspects in a crime Yes. in a way that was responsible and yet... I think maybe people might not understand where that line is. Thank you. Well, first off, we had meetings constantly to talk about the ethics of what we were about to do because we had a, in my season one, we had a gentleman who had been accused by prosecutors and police. He had been acquitted by a jury. They still believe that he did it. Nope, jury got it wrong. This guy's guilty. Well, when we went through and reinvestigated the case, we found three even identified people from back then that they should have looked at closer. So we needed to figure out a way to responsibly explain these three people and why they were at least as deserving as the accused. We made a point to never say or even let ourselves think that so-and-so killed our victim, but rather like this is the reason that person should have been looked at. The fact is we are dealing with somebody who was branded for 40 years a murderer um, by people in very powerful positions. So the least we can do is lay out reasons that maybe other paths should have been explored. Accused was produced by reporter Amber Hunt for the Cincinnati Inquirer. When we spoke backstage at Podcast Movement, she praised the audio narrative form as an ideal medium for a story as extensive as her team wanted to tell. Each one of my episodes is minimum 5,000 words, right? And so we spent 
eight episodes on a single case, it allowed us to dive in far deeper than I've ever been able to for a journalism project. It's not that this one murder was more worthy than any other out there, but it was a great gateway into looking at the system and some of its problems. And I wouldn't have been able to do it in such depth if it hadn't been in podcast form. To close out this week's episode, let's turn again to moderator Rebecca Lavoy, who closed the ethical true crime session by asking her panelists to give some advice to the aspiring podcasters gathered at PM19. What is one thing you would tell your aspiring journalist or journalist or a podcaster to never, ever do in their storytelling? Assume. So you have to report the shit out of everything, and that means that you have to push back against your own assumptions and try to be mindful when you are pre-deciding something. Yeah, I mean, I actually thought I would tell them be very willing to just not do the show. Like, be very willing to just drop that case. If it's not important, if you don't think it's going to move the needle in any direction, if you are suddenly realizing you're going to cause a lot of pain without a lot of benefit, just don't do it. Just pick another story. There's so many stories out there that need attention. Maybe there doesn't have to be another John Benet Ramsey podcast. Maybe. Natalie? I would say try to have a real question that you actually want to know the answer to. I can't thank you guys enough for having this conversation with me. And uh, if anybody has any questions for anyone on the panel, I think we can just hang out for a few minutes, if that's okay, and chat. Um, But thank you all for coming, and we really appreciate it. Thank all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Next time on Podcast Movement Sessions. One of the reasons I think I'm drawn to crime reporting is because I'm, if anything, an overly empathetic person. We'll take a closer look at how empathy plays a major role in creating some of the most compelling and powerful podcasts out there. I have been learning more about empathy over the last few years. It helps me connect with people. Plus, we'll shine our podcast movement session spotlight on NPR's Believed podcast in a conversation with creator and host, Lindsay Smith. It was clear to me that these people who had seen and heard and read coverage of the story ad nauseum still didn't get it. Make sure to subscribe to Podcast Movement Sessions right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Everywhere you listen, we are there. Find us, hit that subscribe button, and don't forget to tell your friends. We got new episodes coming your way all season long, every Friday morning. Make sure to find Podcast Movement everywhere you social media. We're at Podcast Movement on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And remember, tickets are on sale now for Podcast Movement 2020 in Dallas and Podcast Movement Evolutions coming to Los Angeles in February. Find all the information you'll need at podcastmovement.com. And while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter, PodMov Daily, Trends, industry interviews, great insight into podcasting, everything you need delivered directly to your inbox every morning, Monday through Friday. Again, information about our PodMov Daily newsletter can be found at podcastmovement.com. Until next time, I'm Ted Woods. Find me on Instagram. I'm at Ted Woods. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Podcast Movement Sessions. See you next week.